You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, church. That's good. I want to welcome everybody. Welcome those of you watching at home online. It is July 4th weekend. And so obviously there's going to be less people here as more people are enjoying a four-day weekend together. And uh, it's just super good for the rest of us. I want to encourage everybody, if you're out of town for some reason or another, you wouldn't know this if you're out of town. But maybe if you listen later, you'll know. We do have our YouTube channel. We have our app. We have our website. We're constantly putting content in those places. So you can always, if you're out of town, make sure you catch up on where we are. Because uh, I believe with all my heart that God uses our gatherings on Sunday morning to speak to us, to lead us. It's amazing me, when people come to me and say, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that today, that's because God is using this, and he's using churches all across the world. We're going to get to that a little bit today. So if you're visiting with us, you wouldn't know this. We're in a series called Rhythm, Going Through the Psalms. Man, every, every week, I'm like, maybe we should extend this series by just two more, just two more psalms, one more, just three more psalms, but there's 150 psalms. And so unless I want to do this for the next 12 or 13 years, there's going to come a point where I got to say, all right, we're done. And then we know when that's going to be. We're going to start a new series here in a few weeks. But I want to get through a few more psalms. And today we're going to be in Psalm 33. And where I want to take us today is I want to help you understand what the psalm is talking about. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about some topics that are a little bit heady or over your head. If I lose you, just give me grace. We'll move on. The rest of it will make sense to you, but I want to put some pieces together because we've confused some things in America that God intended to be pointed at Israel as a nation in the Old Testament, and I'll try to help unpack that for you as we go a little bit, a little bit today, just scratch the surface. So I want to start with this idea, ready? The crazier this world gets, the louder the righteous sing. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the world is a crazy place. Have you noticed that? It seems like every day you turn on your social media feed or your favorite news source and you hear about how crazy out of control this world is. My experience has been, I don't know about yours, but if you like a particular news source, I don't care if it's CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, NBC, ABC, CBS, pick your news source wherever you go to get your news. And if you consume that news source over and over and over again, what it starts to do is train you to see the world in a certain way. And what starts to happen then is because you see the world in a certain way, you sit down with somebody who watches one of those other news sources and they see the world in a different way and you start talking together and all of a sudden you think to yourself, I hate this person. I used to like them, my brother, my sister, my mother, my friend, but now I realize they're crazy. They are literally crazy. How in the world can you see the world that way? And you think to yourself, what kind of a loser are you that you can't even see this issue the right way? And some of you are like, wow, that sounds like the conversation I had last night, Pastor. How'd you know? Were you there? No, because this is what happens in our world today. And it is being fed to make us hate to despise each other even more. Now, what I'm not saying, I'm going to be very clear. What I'm not saying is there is no such thing as truth. As believers, as a Christian, I do believe that God is truth. And I believe that God has revealed to us what truth is through his word. Now, there may be hard texts that I don't always know what to do with, and and scholars and people like that love to debate these things. But by and large, the big arc of Scripture is not hard to figure out. It is not hard to discern. Anybody can pick up their Bible, and if you keep reading it and keep reading it and maybe ask some hard questions, you'll get to where everybody should get in reading it because it's God's ways, word revealed to us. It's truth. You can count on it. That's important for today because everything that I just said is foundational. Because the crazier things get, 
the louder the righteous sing. And some of you are like, I don't, I don't have a good voice though. I get it, but the Bible also says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So it's biblical just to make noises, like at least joyful noises. Let's unpack this a little bit. Let me show you to you. In Psalm 33, verses one through three, it says this. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the 10-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Shouting for joy is such a key component of the human experience. I don't know what your favorite sport is. I'm not a NASCAR guy. I know God brought me to Indianapolis. I'm not a NASCAR guy. I've never been to the Indy 500. I don't even know where the gas tank is on a car. Okay, that may be overstating it, but I I don't know anything about cars at all, at all. And so going to NASCAR does excite me. But I do know this. I've been to lots of basketball games. I've been to football games. I've been to baseball games. And there's a climactic moment in every game where your team does something good. Now, this is if you're not a Browns fan or a Lions fan. This is what happens in normal games. And when it happens, the whole place erupts, right? Like 80% of the audience jumps up and goes, yes! And I remember... For this Big Ten championship game a few years ago, somebody gave me two tickets. I took my middle son, Levi, because he loves football, and we watched Ohio State play, I think it was Wisconsin. Now I'm thinking about it. I know, I'm sorry, Indiana wasn't present. They haven't been in a long time, but (laughs) too soon? Okay. (laughs) Give me grace for growing up in Ohio. It's not my fault. I had no control over it. Anyway, and there came this moment where the Buckeyes were doing really good, and Levi and I jumped up and cheered, and he literally is covering his ears because it is so loud. And years ago, I heard Louis Louis Giglio talk about this, that when the the people of God understand the work of God, it's like walking into a stadium filled with tens of thousands of people and they're just crying out in joy. And this is what the church is supposed to be like. In some ways, this is what heaven will literally be like. I just read not too long ago, one of the ancient fathers of the faith years ago, like 200 years after Jesus, he had a vision. Now, none of us can confirm whether he literally had a vision or not, or whether he just said he did. I don't know. But history records that he had a vision. And in heaven, he saw uh, two sets of angelic choirs opposite each other and facing each other and singing about the praises of God back towards each other. And so he did that in his church. He literally created two choirs, one on one side and one on the other to mimic the vision that he saw of heaven itself. Because in heaven, there's going to be a lot of singing of God's goodness. So let me ask this question. How can I sing for joy when the world is raging out of control? How can I sing for joy when people are constantly yelling and screaming and killing each other? When there's war abounding, when prices are going up and for some of you, maybe literally living paycheck to paycheck, not sure how you're gonna survive. How can I sing for joy when I worry every day whether a a shooter is gonna show up in my kid's school? How can I sing for joy? And the Bible tells us that joy is a choice that we make despite the circumstances we face, that I can choose joy, but how do I choose joy? And the rest of the Psalm is gonna lay out for us how. And the number one reason I could choose joy it's because I can always praise God for who he is, who he is. God's character is never changing. The scriptures are clear on this. This is why James says that if we need wisdom, we should ask God for it and trust 
Have faith and do not doubt. Because those who doubt are like the waves of the sea. When the wind blows really hard, the waves are blown this way or that way. We don't want to be like that. We want to be as solid as God. How do we do that? Because we're putting our faith in the one who doesn't move. He doesn't shift with the times. As culture goes left, he doesn't go left. He doesn't even go right. He stays firmly planted where he is. So things can go left and things can go right. He still stands where he stands. And so there Therefore, we can come in faith to him and trust him because his character is never changing. Psalm 33, verse 4 and 5 says it this way. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of his chesed, his unfailing love. As I've said before, this this word is is a complex Hebrew word. There's no English equivalent. In fact, there's almost no language in the world that has a perfect equivalent to this Hebrew word because there's so many words. Like you keep grabbing words to try to bring into the meaning of this word. You'll often see things like his unfailing love, his faithful love, his forever love, his gracious and merciful love. It's this idea that God is loving. He'll never change, so he'll always be loving. He will always be faithful, even when you're faithless. He will always be trustworthy, even when the world is not trustworthy. So therefore, you could come to him. You can trust in his character. No matter what is going on in your world, no matter what is happening in your place of business or your family, turn to the Lord. He is faithful and he wants to talk with you and he wants to help you deal with it. Yeah, you can clap for God. I didn't pause for you to clap, but you can do that. Interrupt me to clap anytime, you know, public speaking. All right, but this is what's really cool about this here. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. That means two things. Righteousness just means right behavior, right activity, as defined by God. Justice means when people aren't acting righteously, that we expect there to be something to happen to hold people accountable. God actually loves it when we hold guilty people accountable, but always in the bigger arc of grace. I don't have time to flesh all of that out today. I'll try to touch on it a little bit. But it's important to know that this is in God's character. God hates when evil abounds and it's unrestrained. Hates it, abhors it. God hates when evil is going on and it's never held accountable. So the first thing that we have to do, though, is come to God and say, okay, God, I understand your character. I don't know what to do with it, and I don't know what to do with it in light of what I see. Because when I'm turning on my particular news source, I'm seeing evil in the world. So how am I supposed to understand that? Are you just powerless, God, to do anything about it? (laughs) No, let's keep reading. The next thing we want to do is praise God as the creator of all. Praise God as the creator of all. This is where the psalm is going to take us next. So we could trust God's character, but because we could trust his character, we could trust the fact that he created everything. And so therefore, he knows what he's doing. That's the big picture. He knows what he's doing. Psalm 33, verse six says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And that's where, as you're reading the psalm, you're like, yeah. Maybe not. You should. In a few weeks, when we begin that new series, excuse me, we're going to go through the first half of Hebrews chapter 11. 
And we're just gonna follow its outline and we're gonna walk through the book of Genesis through Hebrews 11. And the very first part of Hebrews 11 talks about God as the creator. So I don't wanna spend too much time now because we're gonna spend two weeks on it in roughly a month, let's call it a month. We're gonna spend two weeks on it. So let me just hit some big picture things here. What the psalmist is trying to get to is establishing that because God is the creator, it means something for us. The entire book of Job, if you don't know the book of Job, if you ever flip it through your Bible and you come across to the top, it says Job, it's Job. Job is the name of a guy. And he's a very wealthy and gifted and blessed man. And God <clears throat> allows Satan, the Hasatan, he allows him to come in and um, do some things to Job's life. He loses his kids, he loses his crops, he loses all of his business. He's inflicted with sores from head to toe. And the rest of the book is Job meeting with his friends while his friends give Job bad advice. And Job is trying to hang on to his faith in God where he's like, God, I don't see you and I don't know where you are and I don't know what you're doing. And at the end of the book, God shows up in a, in a, in a whirlwind, in a, in a storm, and he begins to speak to Job. And I'm not trying to unpack the book of Job, though it's literally one of my favorite books. I think I said that every Sunday. And, uh, but he says to Job, he says, Job, where were you? You've been questioning my character this whole time because you don't understand what I understand. So let me ask you some questions, Job. Where were you? Where were you when I set the seas in place and then I put the land in place and I told the seas no more? Where were you, Job? Where are you, Job? By the way, when I'm feeding lions in the middle of nowhere that you don't even know they exist, where are you, Job? Are you taking care of that? And tell me, Job, do you know where the storehouses of snow and rain are kept? Do you know where they are? Do you know about how to explain those things? Because I do, Job. I know all those things. Do you know where the stars are? <clears throat> do you know I can call them by name? Do you know I know exactly how far away they are? Do you know I know exactly how powerful they are and how bright they are? I made them, Job. And by the way, Job, if I can handle all of these other things, do you think I can handle you? That's the big picture. It goes on for a few chapters. You should read it sometime. It's amazing. But he puts Job in his place. That's not meant to be like a mean parent would put their child in their place, mocking them because they got something wrong. This is God saying, Job, I'm bigger than you even can fathom. You can't contain me. You can't even begin to grasp the infiniteness of my knowledge and my wisdom and my power and my might and my beauty, and my glory, and my grace, and my love for you. But Job, you should be able to look around and see some things and understand some things. And the psalmist is now reflecting on all this and going, look, the world may be raging out of control. And we're about to get there in the psalm itself, but the world may be raging out of control, but what you need to know is the creator is in control. It's been said, I can trust an unknown future to a known God. I don't know where things are headed, but I know who is in control. That actually leads us to our next point. We could praise God for his sovereignty. Sovereignty is a funny word to us Americans. We don't like that word very much. In fact, the whole reason we're here this weekend, July 3rd, right, right before July 4th, is because we didn't like the idea of sovereignty very much. A couple hundred years ago, our people to England said, yeah, you're not sovereign over us. You're in a different place at a different time, and we're going to challenge you on that. Now, that's like summarizing a lot of history into a very small point. But I want you to think for a minute about a nation where there are true kings and queens like there were back in the day, not necessarily like you see in England today. And a king and a queen in that context would be sovereign over the land. And what that would mean is they own everything that's 
in their land. They own the property. They get to set the rules. They get to set how the taxes are spent. They are in control. You don't have to like it. You could try to leave their kingdom and go to another kingdom. But if you're here on this land, they're sovereign over it. That's the whole concept of biblical sovereignty. God is the creator. So therefore, he is sovereign over the creation, which involves everything to the ends of the universe. And this is the problem for us. We don't have a problem with God being in control and making sure everything happens all the time. In fact, we want to hold God accountable when things don't work the way we think they ought to. Our problem is we don't really want God to be sovereign over our lives. If I'm just going to be really honest, I want to want God to be sovereign over my life. But then when he tells me to do something that I don't want to do, I find myself arguing with him about why that's not the best course of action. And if he would just listen to my advice, he would understand that there's a better way. Am I the only one? Or is everybody else just feeling like, yeah, I get that, buddy. In much of my life, is trying to subdue my pride, my selfishness, to make it come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Again, we have presidents, we have CEOs, we don't have lords in America, so it's a hard concept for us. But to have faith in Jesus Christ does not just mean simple belief. I believe it's in the book of James that says, even the demons believe in God and shudder but they're not saved. Why are they not saved? Because they've not remained under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the problem for all of us is oftentimes, not that we don't believe that there's a God, it's that we don't want to come under his sovereignty. But see, when God is in control, when God is truly in control, God's always in control. My lack of belief or my lack of obedience has nothing to do with his ability to control. But imagine a world where everybody did. Everybody obeyed God all the time. That world is coming. Let's take a look. Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Yeah, you can clap for that. Again, interrupt me anytime you want. That's a good word right there, right? I guess uh, uh, the preschool kids have this as their verse, and uh, uh, one of our families showed me their daughter uh, saying this to them. You know, you had to figure out all the words she was using, but <laughs> it was super cute. Okay, so this is super important for all of us to grasp. What is happening here? I need to take a side road for a minute because one of the mistakes that many Americans who become Christians make is we associate passages that were meant for Israel to America. America is not Israel. Let me just walk through Bible History 101 with you very, very quickly. And if I lose you, just give me grace and come back next week where I'll bore you with a new new thing that'll bore you, all right? But here we go. God created the world, creator, right? He was sovereign over everything. We rebelled. So as things progressed through time, God continued to pursue us to win us back to himself. That's been the goal. But the nations became turned away from God. So God chose one nation actually one person, a guy named Abram and his wife, Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah. And they, out of them, he birthed an entire nation, Israel. Now, when you get into Exodus, I believe it's between chapter six through eight. I don't remember exactly which verse it is in there. But God says to them, I didn't choose you because you were the most powerful. I didn't choose you because you were the most dominant. In fact, that would have been Egypt. I could have chosen the most powerful. I chose you because I love you. 
And the whole idea here is God was creating a vehicle that would move through time so that God could bring about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord, so that he could rescue and redeem. But the way that worked is God created a nation and that nation was supposed to be kadosh. That's the Hebrew word for holy. They were supposed to be set apart by God for God's purposes. So he gave them hundreds and hundreds of laws. Do these things, don't do these things, because this is what it looks like to be a nation that pleases the Lord. But he warns them. And you'll find this uh, later on, I think it's at the end of Deuteronomy. Uh, he warns them, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. Your crops are going to thrive. Your, your, your animals are going to be healthy. Your family's going to be healthy. There won't be famines and diseases. Everything's going to go great for you. But if you don't, then I will bring all of the curses that I've promised for those outside of me upon you. And the story of the history of God is that Satan has tried to raise up nations to destroy Israel over and over and over again. I would say probably in part because if he could destroy Israel, maybe he could prevent the Messiah from showing up or at least put it off a little longer. But you can't thwart the plans of God. Nothing anybody does can thwart the plans of God. And so what happens as Israel moves through time is they get stuck. They stop obeying God. They start worshiping false idols. They stop trusting in the Lord. And what happens is God sends in nations like Babylon and Assyria to punish them, to discipline them. But even though many of them are, are, are literally killed off in this process, there's a renown that remains. And through them, God still brings about Jesus Christ the Messiah. And that's super powerful because what's happening here, whatever exactly is going on in the context, the author here is looking around saying, look, God is foiling the plans of the nations. They are trying to not be submissive to God. They are trying to do things their own way, but God is thwarting them to make sure that his purposes stand firm forever, to make sure that through every generation, what he promised is going to happen is going to happen. Then we get to verse 12 and it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. His inheritance is in Jesus Christ. So now everybody who places their faith in Jesus becomes a child of promise who receives the full inheritance of the relationship with God that we've been longing for the promise that one day he'll return and make all evils right. He'll literally heal the wounds of the nations and he'll remove evil from the earth. Yeah, you can, thank you, thank you, thank you. The reason this is important is because, again, America isn't Israel. Can you, can you go back to that slide with me for a second? They're jumping me to the next slide. There you go, yeah, thank you. America isn't Israel, and I want you to get that. But that doesn't mean there isn't something important for us. The whole idea here, blessed, we did a series last December on blessed, but you could track the word blessed from the very, very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, all the way through to the end, because the blessing came to us through Jesus Christ. So now, while in the Old Testament, God worked through Israel itself, in the New Testament, he works through his church. And his church is literally in every nation on the face of the planet. And the church is plan A. And there is no plan B. That's a really important detail. 
Because what that means is it is our job not to build America. I know, I just offended some people on Independence Day weekend. But our goal is not to build America. Our goal is to build the kingdom of God, to take the goodness of his love and his rule and his reign, a lot of those things that America was built on, but to take them to the ends of the earth. Because one day when we get to heaven, we're going to see every nation in every tribe, in every tongue, in every language gathered together, opening up our mouths to make a joyful noise unto the Lord together. And by the way, just for those of us who are like myself, who are a little bit lighter skinned, we may find ourselves in the minority when you look at the worldwide population in heaven going, oh wow, there's a lot more people of color. And I thank God that here at Kingsway, we are growing in color Praise God, here at Kingsway, on a regular basis, people are coming to me going, yeah, look at this, this is awesome, isn't it? Praise God, yes, praise God. But if we're building a nation, then we're building the wrong thing. I do believe that we should love the fact that we're in America. And I thank God, I thank God that I was born in America. I thank God that I live here today. I thank God for the opportunities. I look at things going on in other countries, I go, thank you, God, that I don't deal with those things. So do not misunderstand me. But I am not here to advance America. I am here to advance Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And we will be blessed as a nation if more people do that. Another psalm says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Another psalm says, why do the nations rage? And what they're trying to get to is, God, why does everybody seem mad at you? And the reason everybody's mad at God is because they don't want him to be Lord, as if they could change that. See, the goal for all of us is, is not to change whether God is Lord, but to change our hearts to align with his. And what we're seeing in America today is that a failure to do this has led us to some very dark places. I'm going to share some stats that will equally offend probably lots of people in the room. So give me grace. And statistics are a funny thing because when I lit literally looked some of these up online, I got uh, conflicting statistics, so then I don't know what to believe. Like, let's just use these as a ballpark. Since 2018, in America alone, there's been between 600,000 and a million abortions a year, every single year. And I just want to throw this out there because whatever the number is, it's really high. And you may be sitting there going, I don't have a problem with that. What really, really, really breaks my heart is how many articles I've read in the last week that talk about, um, especially um, celebrities or somewhat famous people, saying that they have taken part in abortions simply because they wanted to, because they got pregnant, didn't mean to, and it was a, a birth control method for them. And they think everybody should be allowed to do that. And my point to this, wherever you are in the room, because I realize you may be never coming back again, so just hear me very clearly. As I said last week, when we read last week's psalm, and David is in the womb of his mama, and he says... When I was in the womb, you knew me in the secret place. You were developing me. You were already for me. The Bible affirms over and over and over again that what's in there is not just a clump of cells. It's a baby. And it's a baby at different stages of development, but it is a baby. And I'm not here to do an abortion sermon. I'm just saying, here's my point. As a nation, we've lost our love of life. I read an article this week about a pastor in Texas, and I have no idea. That pastor could have been the biggest jerk in the world. He could have had a really bad day and been totally mean, but he had some sort of road raid incident with another guy. Within 10 seconds, the guy pulled out a gun, shot him in the chest. He's dead. Now, it doesn't matter to me that he is or isn't a pastor. 
That kind of terrible thing happens all across our nation. We have lost the value of life. Since 1970, there has been over 2,000 school shootings where people go in with a gun and just start shooting kids. In fact, in 2021, it was the absolute worst with over 201 year. I think a lot of pent up frustration and aggression from COVID played out. And I don't have answers on how to fix all these things. But I do believe the church is supposed to have the ways of God, the wisdom of God, the spirit of God to discern these things and they're better discerned on an individual level. And what I mean by that is, I remember when I was in Colorado and this family came to myself and another pastor on staff. It was a possible situation. She was pregnant with twins and the doctors are telling her one of these twins is going to die. And when the baby dies, if we don't take the baby, the other twin could die and mom could die. And now here I am faced as a pro-life person going, I'm for the best option for life. God had mercy on this family and the baby died and they were able to remove the dead child, save the live child and mom. Thank you, Jesus. But listen, that situation and my role, I deal with hard stuff like that all the time. And so do many of you doctors and nurses and friends and family. Let's be very careful that we're standing when the Bible stands. We stand everywhere God stands, and he loves everybody and wants a relationship with them. He wants to save and rescue and redeem. Let's not just throw out statements on social media and angry at other people. These are hard things to do. I also know that doctors are not always right. God love you doctors, because man, I would not want to be you or the president or a pastor, so do what you want with that. But <laughs> gotta be an expert in everything today. One of our dear friends, um, they were pregnant and they were told, the doctors were pushing hard for them to abort their child because uh, she was gonna have pretty extreme, uh, we'll say deformities, gonna make their life very hard. That was never an option for them. No matter how hard life was gonna be, they were grieving. And when their baby was born, it took a small surgery to fix the problem, the doctors were wrong. Today, she recently got married and graduated with a nursing degree. But what if they were right? Would it have changed anything? See, as Christians, and I know you may not know what a Christian is, that's fine, just let me hear, let me hear, say, let me, let you hear me say this. As Christians, we believe that all human life is made in the image of God, male, female, young, old, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, whether typically developing or not typically developing, and whether or not you don't even know what gender you are, it doesn't matter that God loves you loves you. Now, I do believe, since I clarify that, I'm going to hear the emails coming, I do believe male and female are the only two genders. We did a sermon on this. I'll be clear on this. My point is, if my view of the world is to attack you everywhere you disagree with me or everywhere you disagree with God, am I valuing treasuring life the way that God desired for me to do it? We've got to get to the place where we are fighting to protect what God finds most valuable. The very reason he died on the cross. He didn't die on a cross to save an animal. He didn't die on a cross to save a tree. He didn't die on a cross to save a whale. He died on a cross to save you and me. Now, I'm way over on my time. Thank you. I will. <laughs> where we've gone wrong is we've lost an important principle. Here's the principle, Galatians chapter six. 
Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. This principle is in the very beginning of Genesis and it goes all the way to Revelation. That's why Paul could take many, 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 many texts and summarize it down to this one point. God cannot be mocked. He has rigged the system so if you continue to rebel against him, it's not gonna go well. And that doesn't matter if that's a, a family or a small group or a church or a nation or the world. So that's, those verses are intended to call us out and say, God, I don't always get what I want. You're sovereign though. And so I'm gonna submit my flesh to you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna follow you and I need your help. Help me, this is hard. This is why I think you ought to be in church every single Sunday, because it's hard. And it takes about seven days for you to forget what we talked about last time and to get it refilled again and go, oh yeah, I need to get right with God. I need to seek his face. I need his help. I need his wisdom. I need his love. I need his grace. I need his mercy. And then I'm gonna lift up my voice and make a joyful noise with all the other people who can't sing. It'll be great. And together, we'll do this. But if we do that, we reap eternal life. So I'm either gonna reap evil for this nation or I'm gonna reap good for this nation. And here's the thing. I can't change the world. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. These arms aren't wide enough. There's only one person who can. This is why Joshua in the Old Testament says to the entire nation of Israel, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Another, Joshua's realizing he's the leader of the entire nation of Israel. But even he, it's dawning on him, I have no power to make you do anything. So I can only challenge you and set an example for you. What a powerful statement for us today as believers who want the world to be different. I cannot change you. I can't make you do anything, but I can set an example for you. I can have conversation with you. I can say, choose, choose life. But even if you don't, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, how do I do this? How do I do this? I do this because I'm praising God that he is watching over us. There's literally not a moment of my life that he doesn't see. And that's either really scary if I'm doing things I'm not supposed to be doing, or that's really freeing if other people are doing to me things they're not supposed to be doing. Take a look, Psalm 33, verse 13. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. It's just a progression through the psalm. Do you see the progression? God, you are so big and awesome. We should praise you. We could praise you because you're a creator. We could praise you because you're sovereign. We could praise you even when the nations are raging because you're in control. We don't have to worry about it, God. And we could praise you because we know that even though you are so big and you created stars and whales and fishes and lands and plants and birds, you know us. You're watching us. You care about us. You love us. You're merciful to us. And then he goes on and he affirms this in 16. He says, no king, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. You could insert a tank, a fighter jet, an atomic bomb. It's a vain hope for deliverance. You think you're gonna get out of trouble with a bigger gun? You think you're gonna get out of trouble with a bigger weapon? Uh-uh. Despite all of its great strength, it can not save. 
History is riddled with stories of armies who were severely outmatched and won. And I don't understand what God was doing or not doing in those moments. It's way beyond my ability to comprehend. I don't even want to try. But I do know this. If God is thwarting the plans of the nations to bring about his grand purposes, then in and as much as it depends on me, I want to make sure that I'm a part of God's plan on this earth. I want to make sure that my heart is aligned with him and I don't want to trust in bank accounts. And I don't want to trust in armies. And I don't want to trust in wars. And I don't want to trust in presidents. And I don't want to trust in governors. And I don't want to trust in senators. And I don't want to trust in CEOs. And I don't want to trust in my company. I want to put my faith, my trust, my hope in one place, in one place alone, in God himself. So yeah, we can go on. We'll keep moving for time's sake. I know. I'll get you all clap by the other. So you just clap, all right? Verse 18. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, chesed, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. See, when you read things like this, don't just read it, move on. Ah, read and think, meditate, process, ask the Lord for insight. This is so powerful. How can you be delivered from death? When you are outmatched, unmanned, overwhelmed, under-resourced, how can you succeed? God. Famine? Tell me what you can do to control famine. We can't even fix supply chains. Can you make it rain? Can you make the sun shine? Can you make a crop grow? The whole point in all of this is if God decides to remove his protection or his blessing, there won't be anything you can do. You better fall on your face. So why wait? Why wait? Why wait until God has to remove some blessing or protection to get your attention? Fall on your face and just say, God, your eyes are on me. You care about me. You're watching over me. You love me. You want to provide for me. You want to take care of me. So here I am, God. I know you care about these kids more than I do. I know you care about my body more than I do. I know you care about my health and well-being more than I do. I know you care about this nation more than I do. I know you care about unborn babies more than I do. I know you care about the safety of my kids more than I do. I know you care about healing marriages in my own home more than I do. I know you care about restoring me to my enemies who used to be my friends more than I do. So God, help me. If you're watching, God, if you're paying attention, if you really aren't absent, like I sometimes am tempted to feel like you are, then I need you. I need you to help me because right now I feel alone, but I'm going to remind myself I can praise you in the midst of it all. Because I know you're there. I know you're the creator. I know that you're watching. So God, help me in my unbelief. So my encouragement to you is to be bold in the things of God and humble in the things of man. Let that sink in for a second. I didn't say be judgmental. I didn't say be arrogant. I didn't say be prideful. I didn't say be rude or boastful or whatever. Be bold. You don't have to compromise on anything God has revealed to be true. But you also can be humble. 
So in any way that it's hard, in any way that your flesh is in the way, in any way you're like, look, I don't know how to fix it. I, I know from talking to a lot of people, it, it's some inside my church, society, we all think we know how to fix the nation. But I know this, there's one person who does, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the President of Presidents and the whole idea here is, God, would you come back quickly, quickly, please, God, come back. Because when Jesus does return, he's gonna set up a righteous rule and reign on this earth. Evil will be removed forever, and finally we will have what we've been longing for. Which is why the psalmist ends with, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your chesed be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. The nations rage, the world is out of control. I can't stop it, I'm powerless. But you aren't, God. So I will turn my hope, my help to the only place where I can receive what I need, and that is you. So God, give me what I need today. Give us this day our daily bread that I might live for you the way that you died for me. I've been challenging every week to just take this prayer. Make your own prayer. I don't, you don't need my prayers. But I thought for some of you who are like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I just wrote a small prayer for you and just said, just pray this every day for a week and just see what happens. We've got cards of this out on the Connect Hub out there. Let's just read this together and then we're gonna take communion together. I like to, when I'm doing this, I like to take a few deep breaths to literally You'll know you're doing it right when you feel your shoulders come down. And sometimes when I'm praying this kind of prayer, I literally just pray like this. Oh my God, help. Our nation, our city, our schools, our homes need you now more than ever. We know that you are watching and searching for those whose trust is in you. My God, when you look down here, may you find me and find that I fear you. Sometimes I find it hard to trust and to wait on you, Lord. So please help me in my unbelief. Increase my dependence on you and make me bold in the things of God and humble in the things of man. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's practice that prayer. Now I'm gonna ask you to take out your communion. And uh, I'll just give you this piece of wisdom real quick. Communion is our chance to eat and drink our salvation. Uh, we're not the Catholic Church. We don't believe that this is what forgives our sins. We do believe that this is us reminding ourselves that Jesus has already paid it all. When he died on the cross, he took all my sin, past, present, future, upon himself. So that when I'm united with him in baptism, I am accepting his death, burial, and resurrection into myself. 
what communion is. It's our chance to gather every week and say thank you. It's our chance to center our heart. If there's something that we need to confess, let's do that and just take it to him. And so if that's you, if there's some confession you need to make to God, use this time. You could say it in your head, you can whisper it. Um, just give it to him. Now, if you find yourself week after week after week, you're bringing the same thing to God, I want you to go to our Connect Hub and just say, hey, can I sit down and talk with a pastor on staff? Because that's called confession. That's not called repentance. And we wanna move you beyond just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We wanna start putting the right disciplines in place to change things for you. And then if that's not you, I want you to spend this time praying for our nation, for your family, for our schools, wherever it is. I want you to pray for it by name. I'll start a prayer and then I'll hand it to you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you that you are watching over us. God, we cannot make America become a nation that lives for you, but what we can do is make sure that me and my house, we serve the Lord. So God, I pray for every man, woman, child in this room. God, that you would help us to do just that, to decide today to set our hearts, set our minds fully and completely on you, God. And not let anything else to allow us to be blown around like the winds and the waves. That God, our faith would be anchored in the one who never changes. Meet us now in this place and speak to us in Jesus' name.